The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Well, good morning again, and uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Later on, I interview... City of Irvine's Vice Mayor, Tammy Kim, who is running for Mayor of Irvine. Well, good morning again, uh, and thank you for tuning in to The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, here uh, with uh, my producer, Ricky Herrera. Uh, Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, Vic. What's the word, man? Oh, what's the word? You know, lots. So much always just happening so much um you know internationally nationally locally to cover we're gonna air my interview with city of irvine's vice mayor tammy kim who is running for mayor of irvine uh later on the show but uh let's talk about some uh some news stories and current events starting with the international criminal court uh, issuing an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, I mean, who knew? Who could have sort of foreseen this like five years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, but yeah, there it is. Uh, one of his associates is also being seeked for arrest. But Putin, I mean, this is, it's happened. It's, it's out there. And, you know, international criminal courts, very conservative. So for them to do this, it means they, they're very firm on their decision. So what do you think? I think it's great in terms of the impact on on his decision making. I don't think it will sway him one way or the other. But in terms of a symbolic and recognition of of someone just being wrong and unethical, uh, I think it's great. The court uh, in a statement, they obviously uh, refer to his war crimes but also the uh, unlawful deportation of children from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation. So his hands are dirty. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ethnic cleansing right there. Yeah, make no bones about it. So there's so much uh, Putin. Wow. The evil that he's done, that he's caused, not just in the last year or so with Ukraine, but decades prior to that in the region alone is just uh, uh, incredible, including his sort of enhanced uh, assisting Azerbaijan and Turkey in their genocidal campaign against uh, Artsakh and Armenia. So, um, and then we go to France, a very democratic, very peaceful uh, nation, uh, and there are riots because uh, the French government with the push from President Macron, decided to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. And so naturally, a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, just a lot of people and, and, and labor leaders and such are just not cool with it. So there's a lot of unrest in France, which is heartbreaking to watch. And I, whenever I read these kinds of headlines, I think about us in the U.S., the difference between our work 
what's the right word, requirements, if you will, and then Europeans or their lifestyle and ours, you know, where a lot of Europeans will get, you know, minimum of five weeks of vacation a year, where most Americans will get two weeks and usually don't have time to take them or or their their employers or bosses will give them a real hard time if they want to take them. And then most people will end up not using them. And our retirement age is, you know, officially it's 65. So now they're going to 64. Yeah, so I think about that. And uh, it lasts, I would say, five years or more, maybe 10 years. Whenever I go to Europe, I also notice that their way of working has sort of changed a little bit. It's not as lax. It's not as sort of <laughs> used to be. A lot of Europeans are now overworked too, like Americans. So yeah, so the Fr France, France is uh, going through it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think how different the U.S. looks at work. It's a mindset. Like, if, if I had to say, I'd say that Americans are the hardest workers on the planet. And it's not because we want to or, or anything. I, I'm not going to make that assumption. It's just it's ingrained in our culture to work, 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 work. And... I've always thought that Europe and other places on this earth invest a little more in the quality of life. And not that we don't invest in our quality of life in America, but it just doesn't seem to be as high of a priority as it is in other countries. Well, you're absolutely right in a lot of what you said, uh, but you're being too kind and generous. Here's Let's get blunt. Here's the yeah. Of course, it's we don't want to be the hardest working people in the world, but we are, right? So we have this sort of pride, this national pride that we have very high productivity um, level. But what does that really mean? It just means that a lot of people are getting paid for 40 hours a week, but putting in like 60. And, and that's not counting all the time they spend on their phone when they're supposed to be off answering emails or social media that's work-related. Um, and... You know, the reason for that is this. It's simple. I just went to see uh, Senator Bernie Sanders um, speak uh, right here in Glendale, the Alex Theater. And he was saying, you know, what we've known that in the last 50 years, uh, if you take out inflation, the average salary of an average American has decreased. I mean, that's unfathomable when you think about it there hasn't been any meaningful increase in people's income for the last 50 years of course if you are if you're middle class middle class working class etc even to a degree the upper middle class so where is the wealth going to it's going to the to the top one percent that own 80 percent of the world's wealth so with you know 50 years ago some one one person could work, whether it's the woman or the man, and the whole family could live. That's just not possible anymore, you know, for most people. And so we're forced to work harder, longer, more people in a household are, are forced to work. And that's just how it is. We have this out of control uh, capitalism that's due to our corporatocracy. You know, in a way, we're kind of an oligarchy even because... You know, you have uh, so much uh, influence of corporations into our 
uh, Congress and such. And every once in a while, someone will get caught with that kind of a connection. But, uh, you know, we have this, uh, you know, work, work, work. And uh, we pride ourselves with that. And most Americans are uh, exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And speaking of France, if I'm correct, well, I remember a few years back, maybe four or five years ago, France, uh, I recall them passing a a bill, the right to disconnect bill. The government basically wanted to, just like I was just talking about how I feel like other countries kind of invest in the quality of life a little more in with their citizens, uh, this uh, right to disconnect bill was basically that employers could not email their employees off hours or ex like expect correspondence during non-work hours. And to think that would be something that would gain traction here in the States is, is outrageous. Well, I mean, something like that would never happen. We would feel guilty if we <laughs> didn't respond to an employer on the weekend or, or something like that. But just as an example, you know, like France, they, they created a law, man. I like that. I mean, that would throw so many people off here in the U.S., so many employers who expect their employees to be like working 24-7, essentially. Wow. Well, moving on, you are the expert about this next uh, item we're going to talk about, facial recognition. Yeah, in no way am I an expert, but I think it's a, a fascinating technology and kind of direction, I think, that businesses and and companies across the world, I think, will be uh, transitioning to in so many different facets. But um, in New York City, uh, as everyone knows, there's been a an increased uh, attention towards uh, shoplifting and I think just crime in general. And Amazon, they have these stores called uh, ghost stores or something to that effect. And they're being uh, sued in a class action lawsuit because the store in New York was using facial recognition on their customers without their knowledge. And the whole idea of Big Brother and stuff, I think it just bothers people, this uh, facial recognition and I, the technology and biometrics of it. So I'm just curious, uh, your thoughts on facial recognition and this transition to... Different level of uh, security now, if you want to call that security. And it's almost like another level of information that we could be handing over. As you know, and everyone listening knows, uh, information <laughs> is a hot topic. You know, there used to be a time when I, I would always think or say, let all my information be out. What do I got to hide? Right. So who cares? Um, especially when like uh, Ed Snowden released all the documents that proved we were being spied on by the government. They were tapping into people's phones and such. But after reading a lot of arguments uh, for and against it, I am against uh, this intrusive uh, breach of privacy. Um, just because I have nothing to hide doesn't mean I want my sort of my whole life out there. However, I'm also not completely against certain things. You know, when you look at this uh, facial recognition, it makes me think of fingerprinting, right? In the late 19th century, when it sort of started to come about, right? I mean, back then, I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm thinking someone probably said, well, 
what are they going to do next, right? So, but now nobody argues against fingerprinting because we know that for the for you know most of the time it's a very beneficial thing for catching criminals and such. So I sort of look at this the same way. I mean, you know, facial recognition it can help solve a lot of crime. It can help with security things like that. But I'm definitely not cool with it being used uh, indiscriminately for just everybody all of the time. So it's it's really a balance, a balance, a, 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 I suppose, a corporate responsibility to use it when it's absolutely needed to ensure people's security um, or to solve a crime or whatnot. But uh, for it just to be out there, um, I'm not uh, so hot on the idea. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to use it for crime, but to use it for almost this tracking is something that f- just doesn't feel right about it. And we are t- being tracked, I mean, cookies on our laptops and so, or whatever, our, our cell phones, right? I mean, they're tracking our habits. What are we visiting? What are we reading? What sites are we going to? Then they send you commercials and ads and stuff based on that, which, you know, it's been way over 10 years. Uh, so we've sort of kind of uh, gotten used to that. So this will be another <laughs> layer of something similar. Speaking of similar, who's similar to Donald Trump? Yeah, Vic. So at this point, I'm just going headfirst into the bit. I just want to bring up that the latest news on George Santos, a deal he made right before his uh, his most recent successful run for, for Congress, he uh, brokered a deal between two donors in his campaign uh, for a mega yacht. That deal is being investigated by the FBI. Now, it's not known whether any laws were broke or anything like that, but clearly this guy cannot stay out of the news. It's essentially a negative. And I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, in a broader sense, he's in our he's been in our consciousness not for too long. And we've had so much come out. Can you imagine like where we'll be in like three years? Like all the other dirt that will come out. It's incredible. There's no way this guy would be reelected. I, I, just... I don't know about a, <laughs> I think after the 2016 election, I don't say no way to anything anymore. The sour taste he's leaving, he's leaving in his trails is, is remarkable. Yeah. It's just the twilight zone. It's watching. And just knowing that someone like that is in Congress, just unfathomable. Yeah. Well, anyways, like I said, I'm diving headfirst into the bit. I know you uh, want to talk about something way more important and want to shed some light on something that we're a little over three I've... months in. Let's get blunt. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this uh, before, but most of the most of uh, media ignores it. So I I feel like I must keep reminding people about this. You know, you know this. A lot of our listeners know this. That uh, not only in 19, uh, 2020, uh, state of Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated a genocidal invasion of the Republic of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh, and killed. Uh, 5,000 indigenous Armenians. But uh, last December, since December 12th, uh, it's been just over three months, uh, Azerbaijan has blocked uh, the only road 
that leads Artsakh to Armenia, which is the only way out and in to Artsakh, with pseudo-activists, um, essentially a move that's a genocidal move to ethnically cleanse Artsakh of its indigenous Armenian population uh, who have lived there for millennia. It's been their land for millennia. And so what I want to get blunt about is we've, we've heard this phrase a lot lately, you know, uh, selective outrage, right? So there's selective outrage. I'm very glad that the world is outraged by uh, Putin's genocidal invasion of Ukraine. But a year and a half prior to Ukraine, Artsakh was invaded by Azerbaijan and Turkey. So where is the outrage for that? Now, can you imagine that 120,000 people that live in Artsakh are basically held hostage for uh, over three months without any food going in, any medicine essentials? Uh, Azerbaijan has cut off their their gas, their electricity, and internet. I mean, this is if this isn't genocide according to UN's definition, then I know I don't know what is, and yet. You barely hear or read about this in media. Uh, of course, we know that that's because of Azerbaijan laundromats and caviar diplomacy, which includes caviar journalism, um, how they have infiltrated and bribed media companies like BBC, New York Times, CNN to not cover this or to do favorable stories for them. Uh, the press trips where they wine and dine journalists to falsify you know stories and with disinformation and propaganda but even those so-called leaders in the world that know the facts um it's really disgusting to see their reaction or lack thereof for self-interest including their nations getting oil and gas from azerbaijan which by the way a lot of it is laundered russian oil so you know they're so proud of themselves for boycotting uh, Russia, but yet they're buying it from Azerbaijan. It's the same oil, but you know it's an in, it's an inconvenient truth to quote uh, Al Gore that they don't want to admit <laughs> that they're actually buying Russian oil. It's just laundered through Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan's president Aliyev, who too should be arrested, uh, was just in Germany, and the German Chancellor had the audacity to during a speech to say you know we don't recognize the republic of artsakh well we don't i mean it's just so arrogant i mean it was obviously sort of a planted if you will you know he was just sort of regurgitating what aliyev says for their germany self-interest but it's not for you to recognize anything these people have lived there for millennia <clears throat> if you just bother to leave Germany and go there, you will see that there are monasteries and churches that were built in 4th, 5th, 7th, 10th centuries. So it's really irritating, well, it's beyond irritating to watch uh, how the world reacts to Putin and other dictators. And yet, when it comes to the way Armenians are subjected to genocide again, or some people are basically saying this is the continuation of genocide since Turkey is involved, they just choose to turn a blind eye because Armenia is a tiny nation that doesn't have much uh, of any natural resources, at least not enough to quench the thirst of Western nations with oil and gas and and doesn't have billions in revenue to purchase weapons. So, you know, let's get blunt uh, about this double standard in hypocrisy that runs through our 
so-called leaders, our media, uh, even human rights organizations that have been really weak and anemic about this, whether it's Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International. So you know about my film, Motherland. This is all in there. I go through this, talk about the international community and media and their irresponsible reporting. So I'm going to keep talking about this until, you know, hopefully there's more coverage uh, of this. Oh, and I should I should tell people who are local in Southern California, my film Motherland is being screened by the uh, city of West Hollywood this upcoming Tuesday at 6 p.m. in the city council chambers. It's a free event sponsored by the mayor, Mayor Seppi Shine, and Mayor Shine will be moderating a post-screening Q&A panel with me and my producer and my editor. So you can go to City of West Hollywood's website and RSVP. It's weho.org. Yeah, this Tuesday at uh, 6 p.m. So there you have it. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Nicely said, Vic. Vic, can you remind listeners for listeners who can't make it to the West Hollywood screening where they can watch Motherland uh, to learn more about this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Motherland is uh, available to rent or purchase on Vimeo. So just go to Vimeo and put Motherland. Or you can go to the film's website, which is motherlanddoc.com. And there's a link there to watch or you know rent the film, etc. That's motherlanddoc.com. You've eloquently gotten blunt. You've stated the facts of this atrocity. And you use the phrase selective outrage. Well, I'm outraged about the selective coverage. To think that our press can almost benefit off the horrendous actions that are taking place is pretty disgusting. And and I think it's just a friendly reminder about outlets like uh, KPFK and Pacifica Radio as a whole. This is truly why independent media is needed, because there is no selective coverage affecting KPFK, affecting public radio for the most part. And so I think it's an important point to bring up. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Yeah. And we don't have, quote unquote, strategic partnerships as CNN, New York Times and BBC do with the nation of Azerbaijan, where they um, they get millions to turn a blind eye and be mute. Uh, KPFK doesn't have that. That's why we're we're constantly struggling for funding and we have to do fund drives. So I'm proud to be part of this this station and this this type of journalism. That's not caviar journalism. Yeah, well said, Vic. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, you will listen to my interview with City of Irvine's Vice Mayor, Tammy Kim. Hi, this is Robbie Krieger from The Doors. And you are listening to Fiercely Independent KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara and for the world at www.kpfk.org. Support free speech and free forum radio. Peace. a lot to be thankful for. If you're thankful for the old family vehicle, you can let it help one more time by donating it to the KPFK Vehicle Donation Program. The proceeds will help KPFK continue the quality programming you depend on throughout the year. The vehicle donation number is 877-KPFK-AUTO. 
That's 877-573-5288. A representative will take care of everything. That number again is 877-KPFK-AUTO or donate online at kpfk.org. Hi, I'm Sergio Melnyshenko with the Global Village. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. with music from around the world and around the block, as well as some very special interviews. Fridays from 11 to 1 p.m. right here on KPFK Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, house streaming on kpfk.org. Patty Smith, and you're listening to Fiercely Independent Pacifica Radio, KPFK 90.7 FM. People have the power. The Blunt Post with Vic. Irvine's vice mayor, Tammy Kim, was elected to city council in November 2020 in a historic win, beating out 13 other candidates to take first place. Born in Korea, her family moved to the United States when she was an infant. Vice Mayor Kim is an immigrant success story, having been a Fortune 500 corporate executive and led a successful nonprofit organization before venturing into public service. Good morning, uh, Vice Mayor Kim. Uh, thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. I hope everyone's having a great morning. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was really nice meeting you uh, about a couple of weeks ago in Irvine. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And it was great meeting you too in Irvine. I'm glad you had an opportunity to stop by our great city. Yeah, you have such a beautiful uh, city hall and uh uh, council chambers, very impressive. But then again, it's Irvine, so uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised. You've been a you've been a council member there since uh, about three years now, and uh, prior to that, you've had a just this very impressive career as as an advocate, as an educator. Um, you've run non nonprofits. You've been a, a Fortune 500 uh, executive. Uh, how has this experience as a council member and an elected official been like? I mean, it's been crazy because, you know, really um, being on city council, I, I really look at many ways as a continuation of the advocacy work that I've been doing for many years. And uh, it is on a different level and different platform and, and policymaking um, and just really looking at our whole community and having access to our whole community and really understanding a lot of the challenges, really talking to all of our residents has been a really great experience for me. And uh, I've, I have overall been enjoying it so far. I mean, there's the politics of it is, I would say, probably the downside, but 
the actual the the serving of our residents is really what I've enjoyed. And every time I have a wonderful interaction with a resident or I can help solve any problems that they that they might have puts all the negative political things, you know, it, it I, I'm able to like overcome that. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I get that. It's Irvine. It's a, you know, it's a beautiful city. It's often on some sort of a list of one of the safest cities in America with over 300,000 population. It's, you know, it's just one of the most fantastic places to live. But lately, last few years, there have been some controversies. There have been some sort of uh, uh, hiccups in City Hall. And you are, and congratulations, you're running for mayor. Uh, you're now the vice mayor, and now you're running for mayor. How do you um, look back at all of that and plan to sort of take the city forward? Yeah, we have had a bit of controversy as of late, which is which is extremely unfortunate. You know, one of the things that I talked about in my announcement is, you know, we've been under FBI investigation and we've, you know, had incidents with the Armenian community that I haven't been too happy about myself. And I feel that right now, especially right now, is the fact that we need new bold leadership, the fact that we need um, somebody who's going to champion, who's going to really continue to make sure that um, not just resting on the laurels of the past 50 years, but really looking at the next 50 years and what we're going to do as a city to ensure that we remain, we have a high quality of life for all of our residents, making sure that, you know, we're not you know, mired in in controversy where we don't need to be and making sure that we work with the the utmost integrity. I appreciate that. Um, I, I wasn't going to put you on the spot. That's why I asked the very general question. But you said um, incidents with the Armenian community. And for your sake, I want to give you an opportunity to explain that. So someone listening doesn't misunderstand and say, wait a minute, are you accusing of Armenian, uh, accusing the Armenian community to do something, you know, bad? Oh, so, no, 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 no. It's it's, it's quite I the mean, opposite. Yeah, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, we had a mayor who was surrounding herself with genocide deniers, uh, which is, which is quite unfortunate, you know, with nationalists that um, quite honestly, you know, want to to do away um, with the Armenian people and, you know, shoving the the history of Ar the Armenian people under the under the rug. And so that is what I meant about the unfortunate situation. Yeah, I, well, I know I know that because I know you and I know the history. That's why I wanted to give you an opportunity so no one listening misunderstand it. And, and you know, I have to say, since it has come up, the mayor, it wasn't just that she she's been you know she associates with these people but there was and I don't want to go into it or anything like that but uh, uh there was a joke made on a tv show about the Armenian genocide Armenians disappearing quote-unquote where the mayor sort of participated with a laugh and a nod and a, and a nod uh, which was very uh tasteless and then followed by a non-apology which sort of further angered the Armenian community and so you have been great. 
I have to say, just for the record, those listening, you've been great in your response. You've been great. You're very, um, uh, you know, unafraid to, uh, you know, just be blunt and, and speak your mind. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, really appreciate it. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with City of Irvine's Vice Mayor, Tammy Kim. And, and just to continue on the same theme again, you know, Irvine is the sort of hub for a lot of corporations. It's a, it's a safe place where, you know, a lot of people go to raise their family school system and grade schools and uh, community. And yet you have a very ambitious, uh, you know, uh, campaign and plan and, and all of that from economic development to climate change, which, you know, makes sense and all of that. Uh, what can you elaborate on the things that you're working on? Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, really what we need to start thinking about is Irvine 2.0, Irvine the next 50 years, because as we are continuing to grow, as we become, we're one of the largest cities now in the United States. So I think we we rank like number 56 in terms of our size. And if we want to continue to have the quality of life that we have, the safety that we're accustomed to, um, the the high quality of schools, the economic uh, prosperity that we've experienced co- relative to other places, then we need to ensure that we are putting together measures in place that we are thinking about things such as uh, housing affordability. Do we have places, do we have enough places for working families like our teachers, our firefighters, our police officers, our nurses to be able to live here in Irvine to continue to contribute to our city. Do we, are we addressing things? We cannot evade uh, issues around uh, mental health and homelessness, for example, because if we don't, if we don't have a solutions of places where people can go to, Right now, I mean, they can, uh, you can have homeless people set up in the streets and there's nothing you can do if you don't have a solution for them. Right. And so, you know, or do we want to make sure that we have an infrastructure around mental health so that way the police officers are not the front lines of every mental health crisis that exists? These are what I call big city problems. And if we don't address them head on, then we're going to end up And no offense. And I, I love L.A. and I'm from L.A., but I don't want to end up I go to L.A. now and there's people, you know, the, the sidewalks are littered, unfortunately, with with homelessness and with people that truly need help, but they've been ignored. And I wanna be at the forefront to ensure that that doesn't happen. And what happens in Los Angeles is years of ignoring neglect and not addressing the needs head on. And I don't wanna get to that point where then it's too late. Um, and we have that opportunity. So I really want to think of these things really at the forefront. And I also want to talk about in terms of economic development, that we have a founder economy that incub- that that thrives on incubating startups um, where good ideas can flourish and, and grow here within the city of Irvine, that 
our best ideas are not moving to Palo Alto or, or Santa Monica or somewhere else, that they're staying right here, or San Diego, that they're staying right here in Irvine. We have access to some of the best and brightest and most talented people um, really on earth. And I want to make sure that we we hold on to them, uh, that we incubate them. And when when children go to school here, they're raised here, they go off to college, they ought to have a place where they can come back to. Exactly. And so these are all the things that I'm thinking about and that I'm looking at. And of course, with all of that, I, I would say you take everything I just said and wrap that up from a perspective of of uh sustainability as well as from a, a lens of social equity in, in social justice yeah you definitely have a forward thinking um plan of of you know just looking at the big picture sustaining irvine the status that it's at but then making it even better it's a uh, quite a challenge uh but uh, i'm sure you're up to that this is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with City of Irvine's Vice Mayor, Tammy Kim. I'm just always curious. And by the way, you, you really had a good point. I mean, L.A., you know, you know, L.A. was neglected for a long time. And that's why Mayor Bass declared a state of emergency because, you know, L.A. County has 70,000 plus uh, people who are unhoused. And of course, uh, you know, it, it's a very sort of layered problem mm -hmm. between um, income inequality to uh, disintegration of middle class to our real estate, you know, cost of real estate and rent to we don't have the kind of mental health system. There's a stigma around mental health and especially in our cultural immigrant communities, whether you're Armenian, whether you're yeah, Korean, yeah. whether, I mean, it's a stigma. Like we have stigmas attached around sure. uh, you know, mental health. And, and it's that having that cultural competency uh, and understanding. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real thing in our communities for yeah. sure. You know, our families sort of sometimes tell us, you know, man up, just man up, stop <laughs> whining and, you know, what depression, what postpartum depression, what, you know, PTSD. And, mm -hmm. you know, in our time, we fought intergenerational trauma. Yes. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, but they don't talk about that. All the things that they had to endure, the life expectancy was so low um, because there was so much uh, uh, that they they didn't process. They didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great I mean, that's something we're going through. Mayor Bass has been tackling it very aggressively, trying to really combat it. But of course, it takes years to undo decades of damage. So I'm always and curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, you're, you're a Korean-American and uh, you're a woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, unfortunately, it's still relevant to talk about this. Maybe someday it'll be a non-issue. But I feel like as minorities, a lot of us have to work twice as hard to get the same kind of respect as our non-minority counterparts. So I wonder how it is for you as a, as a woman and a Korean American to sort of navigate through from corporate America to just America and now, uh, you know, politics. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a really good question. And, and yeah, I, I think as a, um, 
as a woman and as an Asian American woman, as a Korean American woman, you know, not only are we dealing with, you know, uh, an overall patriarchal society uh, in a very white based, white Anglo based society here in this country. Uh, and then you've, you've got really misogyny and then, but you layer that with xenophobia and racism and uh, Asian fetish and you name, you know, you, you wrap that up in a bow and that's what you have uh, an experience of an Asian American female and right. then, th then entering into politics on top of that, uh, you know, corporate America is hard and then politics is, is then a next layer because a lot of in politics, people's filters, they have no filter. And people feel that they can say anything and do anything they want because you're a politician and they feel their First Amendment right protects them from saying, you know, basically bullcrap racist things about you that that is. But, but they wouldn't say that to uh, like a white candidate. Oh, yeah. No, they wouldn't say that to a white candidate at all. Um, but they they say it to an Asian and it's it's that constant being foreign. It's constant, the perpetual foreigner that I think a lot of uh, immigrants face, you know, but we always an outsider. On yeah, you're always being an outsider, no matter how many generations you might have been here. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, but on the flip side, I'm deeply proud as you are with your roots. I'm very proud of my roots and my heritage. And I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to represent, whether I'm representing in the corporate boardroom or whether I'm representing in politics uh, and whether you're representing in the, the entertainment and media space. I mean, we're all playing an important role when it comes to uh, representation in all aspects of American society. Yeah. At the end of the day, we've been dealt these cards and we... We play them, you know, yep. what's the, what's the option? Uh, so I appreciate that. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with City of Irvine's Vice Mayor, Tammy Kim. So going into, you know, this, this year, you know, 2013, we're still relatively just in the year. What are your, um, what are some of the top things on your agenda? Oh, so for 2023, uh, some of the top things on my agenda is, uh, you know, in Irvine, we're going through a districting process. So making sure that we have a process that is fully transparent and ensuring that incumbents are not uh, drawing district lines that will serve to benefit them and making sure that all communities are represented and all stakeholders have a voice at the table and, and everyone is at the table. Another aspect is I'm working on Irvine Tech Week, uh, which is to really hone in in that uh, starter founder economy. And really we wanna help incubate and nurture ideas that people have and help, help ideas launch into actual viable businesses. Um, or if you already have an idea, and you might even have an idea for an app, you know, getting in front of uh, VCs and being able to pitch and getting a, possibly even a round of investment or, you know, uh, working and figuring out how to set up a, 
you know, a business for the first time. That's all the aspects that are going to be there uh, available for this tech week, which will be at the end of March. So that's a that's a big thing I'm working on. And then ensuring that uh, we continue on our climate action goals here within the city of Irvine and also uh, work on ensuring that uh, we have equity from a housing uh, standpoint. We are looking at uh, converting underperforming retail into uh, housing opportunities and making sure that with that, we have enough inventory and that we're reshaping the product mix a bit because you know single family homes right now, it's an unsustainable, unreachable goal for a lot of us. Uh, myself included, but we want to provide opportunities for our working uh, our working families to live in and those that are, you know, beneath the 80% of area median income, which is, you know, people making under, you know, 100,000 a year is still considered low income. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that's very, so that's a lot of, uh, a lot of things just to, yeah. just to name a few. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, is there a question I should have asked you that I did not, or something you'd like to add? Um, no, I think you, you pretty much answer, you know, ask a lot of questions and, and I'm, you know, happy to be able to be here for any of your listeners. Uh, who may be interested in local politics or the city of Irvine or me or, you know, the work that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Anyone can reach out to me at Tammy Kim at cityofirvine.org. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Vice Mayor. I really appreciate it. It was nice chatting with you. Uh, thank you luck. so much. Yeah, thanks, Vic. And uh, we'll chat again soon. Take care. So that was my interview with... Uh, Irvine Vice Mayor uh, Tammy Kim. Uh, Vice Mayor, thank you so much for your time, uh, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic, and I hope to chat with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera. Uh, thank you for joining me today for The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 8 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. That's at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.